how did you end up singing on stage with Bill Clinton and Van Morrison? Okay. So I was a member of Belfast Cathedral Choir. Uh, David Drinkle was the uh, conductor at the time. And it was 1995. You know, peace process was all happening at the time. Bill Clinton was turning on the lights, uh, the Christmas lights in Belfast City Centre. Uh, like November 1995 and uh, being part of the choir the uh, you know the the city's cathedral choir they had us on stage they had uh, who's your guy Anderson's big band was playing Van Morrison was singing and Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton was there as well switching on the the, the lights so the like Belfast was packed at the time absolutely packed they had metal detectors all around the city center uh, to get in and stuff and I had a you know, at what, 11 years old, had a VIP pass that got me through everything and just like straight into City Hall. We met Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, like did a, a we had a lineup and they came down and introduced. Van Morrison did not do that. He was just like over <laughs> in the background. So we're absolutely having nothing to do with anyone else. Uh, so I, I, I just in 95, like, staying true to himself. Come on, Val. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and it was just like, I remember people up the, uh, up the lampposts and stuff like that, like watching, uh, like the, they weren't up the lampposts watching us. So, well, you know, for <laughs> us, they were there for Van Morrison and Bill Clinton. But uh, I just, he was playing saxophone on stage and we were standing there with him. Unbelievable. Class. If I ask you, what's the first thing you remember? What's some of the first things that kind of pop into your head? First things that I remember, um, in Belfast, I grew up in North Road, uh, in Belfast. I remember cycling down to the park with my brothers. Uh, I, I've got two brothers and a sister. Uh, I certainly remember that. I remember the night that my younger sister, who's what, five years younger than me. I remember the night that she was born because I was lying on a sofa, uh, throwing up spaghetti bolognese because I don't know why, but my parents were at the hospital. <laughs> Our next door neighbor was looking after us. And I just remember lying on this like old beat up sofa uh, and just throwing up. And that, that's, that's probably one of my earliest memories. So that would have been what, like 1989 or something like that. Yeah. Unbelievable. What was the first comic book that you read? Or oh, least, what was the first one that you latched onto? Oh, Spider-Man. Uh, the Amazing Spider-Man series uh, was... Just a Spider-Man. I don't know if you remember the the animated Spider-Man cartoon from the from the mid nineties, but it's it was like on the TV. Sort of one I would have been watching on Fox TV. That sort of that sort of that's a, that sort of one. Yeah, and yeah, I remember yeah. like catching them every so often, and that just like just grabbed me, just absolutely grabbed me. I love to climb trees and stuff like that. So having you know spider powers was just like the best. I remember going to. Uh, I've got a dream. Who knows if it was real or not? But when I was in. Uh, Dundella Nursery School. And I remember, I guess my parents couldn't get the Spider-Man costume off of me. So I had my clothes <laughs> on top. They just dressed me on top of the Spider-Man costume. And I went thinking, I've got the secret identity. I've got like my Spider-Man top underneath. And I remember spinning webs. You know, it probably didn't happen, but I remember that. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, yeah, look, thank you so much for jumping on, whether you're listening or watching back at another Best of Belfast episode where we're all about celebrating incredible people from Northern Ireland. This is part of our NI Connection series where we are interviewing awesome people from Northern Ireland who are living and working overseas and doing awesome things just like Cameron. So we'll jump into Cameron's story in depth here, but Cameron's a senior engineer at Netflix. He's worked at Amazon. He's worked at Twitter. He lives in Silicon Valley. It's Silicon Valley, isn't it? Yep, that's right. 
Yeah, I mean, where else would you be if you're working for those dogs, I suppose? <laughs> it's like, no, I actually, like, you ever heard of Armagh? It's like, just like there's a wee hamlet outside Armagh. <laughs> and NI Connections is part of Invest NI, and it is their diaspora arm. So basically, they're all about connecting Northern Irish people all around the world together. So if you live overseas and you're from Northern Ireland and you're looking to connect up with other people, highly recommend checking out niconnections.com. It's also where you can get loads of information if you're even remotely considering moving back home all the nitty-gritty brass tack stuff that you maybe would be trying to figure out they've got it all laid out in really simple format uh, there's been a lot of homecomings recently and if you want to be part of that movement then uh, ni connections is the place for you to check out cameron hit me up then if you were a superhero who would you be is it spider-man or do you do you wish you were spider-man but you relate more to somebody else in reality um most recently, I've been enjoying Batman more than anything. Uh, mm. Batman would absolutely be the hero I'd want to be. Not for the, you know, being an orphan side of things or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> there was a, a recent series called Batman the Night. And it was a 10-part, 10-issue uh, comic series. And incredibly written. I think it was Chip Zarsky that wrote it. And it's it's the early years of batman where he actually goes around the world and he's training to become batman not that he knows that that's what he's about to become but he trains to become a detective he trains to become an assassin he trains to become uh you know uh, an expert in every field imaginable and that that was just an excellent series uh, of comics really enjoyed reading it and it kind of shows you why he's the best at what he does without any superpowers but he can go toe-to-toe with superman you know that that was just an excellent comic that's really, really interesting. I was taking the bus in this morning and I was thinking about Raz Ghoul in uh, the Nolan movies. Yep. I don't know, I don't know how canon they are, but obviously big Liam Neeson. And, mm-hmm. uh, I was just thinking, I was like, dude, I loved that because it was, I, I, on Fox TV, right after Spider-Man, the, the cartoon you were talking about, there was Batman, but Batman was always this kind of like two dimensional character. And it was, it took Liam Neeson to make me kind of understand the backstory. And I was really, really bought into it. Why do you think mm-hmm. that we're, we're more attracted to the origin stories of heroes like that and that whole idea of the anti hero than we maybe would have been, I don't know, even I feel like two decades ago, although I'm only almost three decades old. So I probably have a biased view on the world. <laughs> Why are we interested in origin stories? I guess you feel closer to it. You know, you feel like uh, you could maybe do those things as well. Whereas when you get to the absolutely fantastical of like, well, could I could I throw webs flying through Manhattan? No, that that's that's not going to happen. You know, but but could I learn to climb a wall? Yeah, I could I could learn to climb a wall. That's something I could do. So it's it's more approachable. It's more like you're going on that journey with someone. They're just discovering who they are probably brings a lot of questions into your own mind as to, yeah, I, I, I could see where he's coming from now, rather than it just being completely alien. I, like, I've never been much of a Superman fan because it's like, well, he's not a man. He's not that super when it comes to it. He's just like an average Kryptonian when it comes to it. He's just, <laughs> uh, uh, he's just in the right place at the right time. Do you have one superpower or do you feel comfortable saying that you have two or, or more? Oh no, I don't even have one superpower. I oh, go on, Cameron. Come on, you I have am, one. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'll admit I'm pretty good at what I do. I, I'm, yeah, I'm not shy about that. You think? I like, I like, I like what I do, and I'm pretty good at it. Uh, that that I'm comfortable with, but uh, I'm certainly not the greatest in the world. I know that, but it's something that I'm still interested enough to keep learning about and mm-hmm. to keep diving into. It, whereas there are plenty of people that I've worked with that 
are really good at what they do, but they're kind of sticking at what they have done. They're not, yeah. they're not as interested in continuously learning, continuously uh, diving into a new area and taking things and seeing, hey, what happens if I connect this thing to that thing? Whereas uh, I still have that passion uh, and, and I'm a bit older than you, but uh, it's, it's something that having worked in uh, over here for 10 years in Silicon Valley and uh, working for Amazon in the UK before that for five, it's not something I've lost. I've still got that interest, still got that desire to get better at what I do. Awesome. So if you were to kind of narrow what you've said slightly, like what would your superpower be? Or if you're not comfortable with the word superpower, what would you like the sharpest uh, tool in your tool belt be, you know, like your core craft? Finding connections uh, between two things that don't seem obvious. Uh, that's something that has uh, worked really well for me uh, in tech is that, hey, someone's working on this thing over here and we've got this problem over there. I wonder if we could tweak that slightly to work. And a lot of people just don't see that bigger picture uh, mm -hmm. that, that it doesn't it just doesn't always exist because when you're building something, you can get so focused on I'm building it for this reason. But when you step back, you look at it and you're like, oh, this could be larger. This could be a bigger thing if we just put a bit more effort into it, make it a little bit more generic over here or a little more, more specialist over here. Then you can start using things more broadly. And that that, I guess, has uh, paid off really well in my career. When you were younger, how did you start to develop your your technological superpower? I always joke for me, like it was playing RuneScape. Like I learned like so yeah. much about RuneScape because I made like YouTube videos about RuneScape and that taught me how to edit and it, I got scammed loads of times and I got hacked and that taught me about this, that taught me about that. What were some of your kind of uh, your tech origins? Uh, so I went to uh, Methody and Methody had a computer lab and... I guess my, uh, when you got the bus in, I was arriving in early to school and the computer lab was always open. It was always warm as well. So you didn't have to hang out outside. So uh, I was, I was going inside and sitting on one of those computers and just messing around and trying to, uh, what was the, one of the first things that, oh yeah, uh, this is probably way before your time. You said, if you're almost 30, uh, Tamagotchis were like a little key ring that you got that you would like Bro, feed this I got, pet. I got and a it would... Tamagotchi, man. Let's okay, talk. okay. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, and uh, th these were these are wildly popular at the time. And I remember uh, just that that was the only place that I had the internet as well. We didn't have internet at home or anything at that point. So going on the internet and just searching for things, uh, books from the libraries. I remember going into our local library and just saying, "Oh, I'm I'm looking for a book." Uh, on programming and they're like oh well which book do you want and i was super young i was like all of them i just want all of them please and you know they just rolled their eyes said yeah sure we'll order those in come back next week sort of thing and and of course no they never ordered any of the books but i did get Aww. uh i did get a few uh you know that that they had on the shelf but i would read those desperately and then be back in that computer lab the next day trying to build this tamagotchi uh, on uh, Visual Studio, I think it was, and just building that. I had a very good friend, Alan Hoy, as well, who was much better than I was, uh, just creatively, and he would just do some magical things, and then I would just spend time reading that code to try and understand, how did he do that? How did he come up with this idea? And, and it kind of grew from there. And then I was a member of the Boys Brigade, and for uh, Boys Brigade and Duke of Edinburgh Awards, uh, you need to do like a skill. And I did uh, building websites for Boys Brigades and things like that. So I had an excellent leader there, uh, Brian Thompson. And he was just an excellent mentor and still is an excellent mentor uh, for 
teaching me how to code and, and how to build things. And that, that was just formulative. Unbelievable. Where was the, the desire to program come from? Because there's plenty of guys your age and, you know, at that time who went to Methody who go into the library to get books on programming was the last thing on their radar. Do you know what I mean? Like, where did that itch come from? I think it's just a desire to build things. Uh, I'm really into woodworking at the moment and have been for a while. And I think if I look I at I your w- your feed, like, is it just like all these like woodworking videos? I know a few guys. It's just like, whoa, your algorithm is really different to mine. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of woodworking in there for sure. Tips and tricks, things to buy for under twenty dollars, all that sort of stuff. But it it definitely is. I, I the woodworking was like my pandemic hobby, I guess that I I mm. picked up. I've I'd been wanting to do it for a while. Uh, got a bit more money to buy tools, and I think that 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 was the difference that I see compared to being. Uh, to, compared to when I was younger, is that woodworking, it's, it's expensive to get into. You need certain tools. You need uh, a, a space to do it. You need to buy resources like the wood itself. You can't really mess up because if you're messing around with a piece of walnut or something and you're 16 years old, it's like, well, I guess that's gone. Uh, <laughs> whereas you can make mistakes in computing really easily and it's all cheap. It's, uh, you know, if you've got access to a computer and you've got an idea that you want to create you can do that and it's free and you can mess around you can make mistakes you can always undo what you did it's just it's really easy to test things and mess around come up with an idea show somebody and then they might go oh yeah that'd be really cool if you could and then you can start building on it like that so i think it was that it was cheap and and that you can make mistakes that that's what attracted me to it and just being on like the internet was in its infancy at the time as well. Like this is early nineties, mid nineties. I remember going to, uh, a, a, an internet cafe in Shaftesbury Square, for example. And I'm just like getting in there and just going like my dad saying, well, what do you want to look up? And it's like, I don't know. Like I've, I've no, you know, that was the first time I'd ever used the internet. It's not like it's got a big book or, or anything like that. And the first thing I thought was, well, how would I make, how would I make one of these pages? So uh, it kind of starts from there. Wow, very, very interesting to see how your brain works. What led to you leaving Northern Ireland? And I'm, I don't even necessarily want like the the thing itself, but like what was the underlying thing behind that? Yeah, uh, so I went to Methody and I didn't really want to go to Queens because it was right across the road. That <laughs> You're just like, bro, I've been to all these places. <laughs> I'd, I'd be getting the same buses. Uh, I'd, I'd, I'd probably be bumping into all of the same people. It just didn't feel like it was going to be different to what I had already done for the previous seven years. You know, I just thought I wanted something different and new. My older brother uh, went to university in Glasgow, so that was kind of an attraction to towards Scotland. Uh, I'd been over there and had fun partying in, uh, in, in Glasgow with him. So it was kind of that, oh, well, that's exciting to go away and have a bit of distance, uh, but coming home during Christmas and summer. So it was... It, yeah, it wasn't uh, getting away from Belfast more that I just wanted a change. And Queens did not feel like a change. Uh, and when I went to, I like checked out Glasgow University for computer science, software engineering. And I was just like, no, wait a minute. I also want a bit of distance between me and my brother. That that would also be good. <laughs> so uh, I, I I think it was like a, a, like a Thursday or Friday or something that I had a tour around uh, Glasgow's campus. And thought, yeah, this is it. My mind is settled on it. They they said that they would teach us Ada, which is a language, uh, a, a computer language, but I'd never done it before. 
And I thought, but they don't use that in industry either. So that wasn't particularly interesting to me. And then we went through to Edinburgh and like the clouds parted, there's sunshine. <laughs> uh, it's just a, a beautifully historic city. And I was just like, yeah, actually, this is where I want to be. That uh, They were going to teach Java, which uh, I'd used a bit for interested in it. It just, it was just a beautiful city and I just fell in love with it immediately. Very cool. So it's one thing moving from Belfast to Edinburgh, obviously big change, especially at that age, you know, kind of blows your mind. I can't think of anything fancier to say other than that. Uh, <laughs> you break a lot of ties with home. You start to kind of get out on your own two feet. It's very, very different though, to make that jump to America. It's especially different to make that jump to the West Coast. And then if you're going to Silicon Valley, like that's a different kettle of fish entirely. So tell me a little bit about that transition. Yeah, so I worked at Amazon in Edinburgh after university for about five years. And I really enjoyed it. It was a lovely office. Uh, when I joined them, it was about 20 something people. Uh, by the time I was leaving, it had doubled in size. I think it's, uh, so, so it's, yeah, it's about 40 something people when I left. I think it's now about two or 300 people. Uh, that are in that office now is it's just grown exponentially and after working there at a remote office edinburgh obviously isn't the headquarters for amazon that's in seattle and uh, there's only so much work that you can take on when you're eight hours ahead of seattle you know you have to either um take yourself apart and have a project that you just don't have to communicate with them very much at all or you have to stay very late in the day so that you've got some crossover time uh, across time zones. And I just felt like we were missing our office. We, we weren't able to take on the big, big things that Amazon was taking on. And I just felt like I want to be in the headquarters. I want to be in the middle of it. So I did take a trip to Seattle and I checked out Amazon's headquarters and stuff like that. I spoke to a few teams over there and there's plenty of interesting things. Uh, but at the time, Twitter was also taking off massively. And I was just like, I really enjoyed Twitter. This is just, it feels uh, game changing to me. It was in the days when, you know, when you sent a tweet, everyone's pocket would buzz. It, it was yeah. uh, all by SMS uh, rather than at the moment, you know, now you just open an app and it just feels like a, a chore. But back in those days, it was more electric feeling that, you know, mm -hmm. someone would send something and everyone would know immediately, uh, literally buzzing with energy. And I, so I went and I interviewed with them and the, the office was just magical. It was night and day to Amazon. Amazon is very frugal and they're very proud of that. Uh, I don't know if you know about Amazon's culture that, uh, one of the things that they have you do is, uh, build a door desk. And this is because back in the day when Jeff Bezos started in his garage, they were all on their hands and knees packing boxes and, uh, they all got sore knees. And one of the guys said to Jeff, you know what we need? And Jeff Bezos said, knee pads. And the guy's like, no, we need packing tests. <laughs> so, so he went uh, and he took all of the internal doors off of his house and he turned those into packing tables uh, by putting legs on his doors because they just didn't have the money for to buy desks. So that became an Amazon cultural thing of you build Legend. a door desk, you use what you have around, you, you're frugal. Twitter was very different to that. Twitter was, uh, they would give, they would feed you breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They would do your laundry. Uh, oh. they, yeah, they would, uh, they, they, they did everything. They had improv classes, juggling classes. They had everything that you could imagine. And then you also did work. So it was, uh, work hard, play hard, just kind of keep you in the office at all times sort of situation. And you were having fun. There were beers in the fridge. 
and uh, and and you would just enjoy working there while you were having fun. It just felt very different because it was everything was laid on versus Amazon's very frugal. You know, work. Uh, it was uh, work hard, make history was their one of their phrases sort of thing. Whereas Twitter was be passionate about what you're doing. Like I said, it felt very very connected. People working with a purpose and. That, that move from Amazon was more, I want to just be in the headquarters. I want to be right in the middle of everything. And uh, Seattle could have been that, but that would have been in the middle of Amazon, not in the middle of tech. And uh, so Silicon Valley, San Francisco just felt uh, felt like the place to be. Very interesting. I bet there's like some sort of fancy woodworker out there who has created the most elaborate door desk you could ever imagine i was picturing oh yeah that, that, that elevates and stuff so you can turn it into like a standing desk and i was like this is not really what the principle was but i like what you've done here <laughs> it's very interesting like the, the difference between companies i think in some ways it, it, it's reflective somewhat but not all the time of company culture and i love what you were saying about like whenever tweets used to literally buzz in your pocket and like how electric that felt and i remember the energy around twitter especially whenever it started off it was so so exciting do you think that twitter went wrong somewhere along the way like obviously there's a lot of stuff going on with musk but even like before that do you think it as a company or i don't know do big tech giants have like a shelf life are we going to see some of them fall off do you think do they have a shelf life? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they do. Like we don't talk about MySpace or Bebo very much anymore. So yeah, I oh, think they, so I think there's a a shelf life. Um, is Twitter? Uh, yes, I can. I can totally imagine that uh, there's points and times at Twitter that it's very very low. It was always very very uh, like a roller coaster of great highs and very low lows. Like you've got a competitor like Facebook that was just dominating, like anything that we were building, any fancy idea that we came up with, we would do it. There'd be a little bit of news, but then Facebook would copy it and just make it better. And they could execute so much faster than us. Uh, like there, and, and there, there are technical reasons for that. And, and, uh, you know, they did really well, very deserving of, of doing it. Uh, the problem with Twitter, uh, was always that Twitter can be anything. There was no direction because it just depends on who's in charge. Uh, the VP of product might decide that, hey, Twitter is for news. You know, let's make sure that it is all about real time news. Let's get like CNN and uh, and BBC and everyone to like get their breaking news onto Twitter. And that could be like their idea. Let's optimize for that and getting news out to everyone. Or someone might say, no, it's a social network. Let's make sure that, you know, you've got connections between friends and that you can have that, you know, you're chatting uh, with your local group of friends, your circles there. Or someone might say it's the global town square or that it's about private messaging and about groups. It's about hashtags and communities. No one knows what Twitter is because Twitter can be anything. And that's the problem is that uh, the VP of product was changing every like year at one point. It was kind of like the defense against the dark arts teacher at, at, in the Harry <laughs> Potter books. There was, there was one in every single book. And, and it was just different, uh, a different feeling company under each one. Uh, and there's loads of politics, uh, in the exec, uh, office, uh, in, in Twitter as well. They're hatching Twitter is an excellent book about this. You know, the, uh, Jack Dorsey, uh, Dick Costello, uh, kind of drama that was going on with Ev Williams as well. 
So it's, it was a fraught company, but with the employees are some of the best people and most inspirational people, talented people that I've ever worked with. They had a vision. They knew what they wanted to do. They were changing the world uh, at some point in time. And when you start getting to, especially when we went public, that was a, a massive shift from being a private company where you could have an idea and you could have it on service within a week or two. Whereas when you go public, it's like, no, 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 we can't like make that change because it doesn't fit with like shareholder value. And wow. actually what we need is, you know, the thing that the market is judging us on is users. So everything that you build has to be about getting more users to join the platform. So all of a sudden you're kind of more restricted and focused on what you're meant to be doing. Focus can be good, but it can also be demoralizing that it's like, oh, we had this really good idea, but it just didn't go anywhere because mm. we're so focused on this other thing that we don't have time. And prioritization is important, but at the same time, it ruins and can stifle creativity. Yeah. I love how conversations uh, take shape as you go. It's part of the the joy of the free fall for me. This is kind of turning into a tale of three companies, you know? So yeah. we start off with Amazon, we've got Twitter. What prompted you to move to Netflix? And how does that culture sit between mm -hmm. something like an Amazon and a Twitter? In what ways was it different? So Twitter was at one of its lowest lows. Uh, when I was leaving. So the stock price when it went public was like 47 or something like that. It raised its way all up to like 70 and then it dropped down to 13. Dude, and, you, and it was... Uh, that's because you left, man. When you left, the Oh, yeah. Like... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It, it went down to 13 while I was there and it has slowly been making its way back up since I left. So I, can't, I, can, I cannot take any credit for that at all. It, uh, it, was, it was at a lowest low and the team that I was working on, uh, one of the things that I built there was uh, group messaging, uh, all of the DM infrastructure uh, and uh, for web and bits of the Android app as well. And that team started to be disassembled and I'd already been through that. One of the other things that I worked on at Twitter was identity. So profile pages uh, was something that I specialized on uh, for a few years. And, and it just felt like this team is now being deconstructed. We're going to be moved on to other things. And the teams that I worked on there were exceptional, very friendly. I'm still very good friends and see and hang out with a lot of people from Twitter. Uh, no longer at Twitter, but used to be at Twitter. And it's like it, ex-Googlers. There's like a, like a mafia of ex-Googlers that I there just is, keep yeah. bumping into. And I imagine Twitter is the same. It's, it's exactly that. And uh, so it, it's just like this team being deconstructed. What are we going to be working on? There is. Uh, Jack uh, was back at that time. I wasn't a massive fan of Jack, so it was like, yeah, I think maybe it's now just the time to 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 change over. And when I started looking around, Netflix was the only company I was interested in. Like, I didn't apply anywhere else. I was only interested in them. And when I went and I interviewed with them, I said to my wife, it just it felt like I'd left the kids' table, and I'm now at the adults' table. Everyone was a little bit older. Uh, most of them had kids and they, they had all been in the industry for a long time. One of the cultural things at the time at Netflix was they only hired senior engineers. There were no junior engineers at all. And whereas Twitter had grown so quickly that we were just hiring people straight out of college, very green engineers. And I love that, that, uh, you know, people need to start somewhere. And I loved mentorship and helping people as well, but it just felt different when you went to Netflix because everyone had been in the industry for a good 10 years. Most of the people actually on the TV team when I joined had been there about seven or eight years already. Wow. So 
They, they all had a lot of knowledge. They knew exactly what they were doing. It was a really hard, it's a really hard space working in TV. The devices have very little memory, a lot of constraints, and it's the most watched platform on Netflix as well. So there was a lot of attraction to being the, oh yeah, TV is much larger than mobile or web. Yeah. Wow. That actually kind of shocks me. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I totally, I would not, if I would have put it completely the opposite, I would have said mm-hmm. mobile first, uh, laptop, desktop, and then TV. That is no, blowing my mind. Wow. No, t- TV is like the crown jewel of the Netflix experience. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if the numbers are public, so I can't say anything, but uh, sure, yes, sure, sure. Uh, t- TV is is by far the largest. And and that was exciting to me as well, because at, at Twitter, I was working on the website and the website was declining in popularity compared to mobile because those apps obviously on your phone are, you know, you're out and about and you can use them rather than being on a laptop. So moving from a platform that was kind of losing all of its user users to the crown jewel that was growing, that was just exciting for me. It's very interesting. I never thought that a competitive advantage and like a differentiator in the market is that it gets access to a screen that not none of the other apps really get a hold of in terms of social media. Yeah. You know, like Twitter's not popping off my smart TV. Facebook's not popping off my smart TV. I'm sure you could do it, but it would be like trying to like, I don't know, use like a, a Kindle for web browsing. Do you know what I mean? It's just not very <laughs> intuitive. Yeah, uh, Twitter did try it at one point. They, they had the rights to uh, American football, the NFL. I think it was Wednesday night football or uh, Monday night football or something like that. And the idea was that like, well, People are watching these live sports and we can have a stream of tweets going down the right-hand side of the TV. And they tried it, but it's persuading people to install the app is really, mm. is really difficult. You know, if they only open an app once a week to watch American football, which is, you know, a pretty small crowd of people compared to something worldwide, then it was just, just difficult to do. Uh, so it yeah. didn't take off, but that's not stopping uh, what Amazon and YouTube are currently fighting over NFL rights over here. Uh, I think, I think Amazon have Wednesday night football. I think uh, YouTube are getting Sunday night football or something. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who would you say is Netflix's biggest competitor? Uh, Disney is the obvious answer uh, to that. I know that Reed Hastings would have said that Fortnite uh, was the <laughs> the biggest competitor. He because it's the the goal of Netflix is to entertain you, right? Yeah. And so anything that uh, entertains you that isn't on Netflix is the competitor. Uh, I think even uh, Reed at one point said that uh, uh, hallucinogenic drugs are a competitor to <laughs> to Netflix. You know, anything that anything that takes you away from watching what we're putting out that that's the competitor. But uh, is there not but, some sort of mad quote. I, I don't think it was Reed, but like someone I, oh, I don't even know why I brought this up but like someone was saying like oh who's your competitor and they said something just like something so outrageous like real life or reality or like water yeah. or something yeah. like that and you're just kind of <laughs> like ah! <laughs> it is yeah it, it, it is strange that uh, like Reed definitely but this before Disney Plus came out before uh, you sure. know HBO Max before like this whole swathe of new uh, uh, competitors on smart TVs came out and, and got that figured out uh, he, he was, it was just like hallucinogenic drugs and Fortnite. That's what, that's what's taking eyes away from Netflix. Interesting. I remember, uh, with all of the goodness, come on brain, you can do it. Uh, Cambridge Analytica stuff and all that kind of broke. Oh yeah. You know, uh-huh. we've all watched the documentaries. They were talking a lot about how, you know, on Android devices, 
uh, Facebook comms like pre-installed. So I think it was like in the Philippines mm-hmm. and, and other kind of countries in the East. That's how it was a huge part of the onboarding process for smart mm-hmm. TVs. Is there any sort of like discussion, arguments, debate, strategy to make sure that brands will stick your app on the home screen? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's loads of deals like that. Uh, there's so it would be a deal. It would be a, tr- a transactional. Like I do this, you do that. Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated one as to who pays who. Wow. You know, because no one wants to buy a television that doesn't. Uh, allow you to watch Netflix on it, right? So you know, that's yeah. like Sony doesn't want or Samsung doesn't want you to, uh, doesn't want to put out a TV that doesn't have Netflix. But at the same time, we also don't want TVs out there that don't have Netflix on it. So mm. who pays who? I don't know how that works. And I bet that it, I, I bet that that is fluid and changes over time, depending on who the company yeah. is, depending on what they're offering. Uh, one of the, one of the big deals, uh, is getting like a Netflix button on a, on the remote control. Like oh, yeah, that was, yeah. that's a, a, a big deal. And we were the first uh, company to ask, Hey, could you put a button on? And a lot of companies would do that. And they're like, yeah, okay, well, we'll do that because we want Netflix to be on our TVs and we're not going to give you Netflix unless you put the button on the, on the controller. And then you get some like big giants that might hold out on that going, well, we've got like this really <laughs> nice remote control. We don't want like a big advert on, on the, <laughs> on the TV. And, 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 and that, that could be a, a, a deal. You know, as to uh, what do we give up? What do they give up in order for these things to happen? Uh, I've never once thought about that. Like, I've never seen a YouTube button. I've never seen a Disney Plus button. And now when I'm thinking about it, I'm like, that's kind of strange, but it just seems so natural. That's that's how embedded Netflix is into the TV culture, I guess, that I Mm -hmm. never even kind of blinked at it. Seems to Yeah, you do get them uh, (laughs) like on, uh, on a Google device, it'll have a YouTube button, right? And, uh, on a Roku, they, like, you used to get, uh, voodoo buttons and, uh, d- 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 you know, because there was a whole Man, I don't road. I don't even know what a Roku, what a Roku is. <laughs> oh, a, a Roku is, uh, it, it's one of the most popular streaming devices, like a streaming stick that you plug in the back of your TV. Wow. And, uh, uh, it's just, uh, it's, it's a big brand. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're in the UK. They must be. Cool. But I, I think uh, the thing that I would be most interested in is, in terms of uh, apps on the home screen, is whatever discussions, whatever debates, whatever behind the scenes, and this is not me asking you a question, I'm just reflecting out loud, like who decides where Disney Plus goes and where Netflix goes? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that conversation is very interesting. It's like who gets priority, who gets to be in front of the other one? And it's because a small decision like that can have a massive, massive impact when you're dealing with as many users as as these companies are, are competing with, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that is definitely spoken about at, uh, with business partners. Like absolutely is not just something that people go, Oh, it doesn't really matter. No, people care mm-hmm. about that. It's, it's people's jobs to care about that for sure. Cool. So yeah, it has been very, very cool to see how Netflix has evolved over the years. Like there's no doubt about it. And, mm-hmm. uh, someone was even showing me recently. I personally don't have it on my phone. Uh, there's kind of like a like a shorts tab to it now. And I was like, bro, yep. are you on TikTok? And they're like, no, this is Netflix. And I was like, the metaverse has officially arrived. Like everything is just like becoming its own little universe. If Reed was to walk into your office and say to you, Cameron, like we're completely starting from scratch. You're going to lead the, the whole redesign of Netflix 2.0 or 10.0 or whatever it is. What would you do? Like, how would you create something that's maybe radically different than what you have? What would you add in a major feature that's not there? 
Is there anything that you're like, yeah, yeah, I would definitely iterate in this way or I would completely flip something on its head? The the biggest problem with apps, TV apps, uh, content apps, is that it takes time to choose what you want to watch. Like mm. I, you've, you've probably been there on a Saturday night, Friday night or something, and just like, I just want to watch something. And they end up scrolling for like 30 minutes, just trying to find something that is interesting to watch. And I bet any single one of those things that you scroll through would have been good enough. You just oh, for didn't, sure. you just, you just like, oh no, there, there's probably something better here that I just haven't got to yet. So what would I change that when, as soon as you open the app, it's just like live TV, it just starts playing something immediately, mm. let you what just put you straight into something that we think that you're going to like, and then let you browse at the same time, a bit like channel surfing on the skybox that, you know, you're just kind of flicking through the guide while wow. you're watching something, stay entertained, like live TV, uh, like uh, before streaming apps, you know, that, that worked, that model was good. You were watching something. And you might be okay with that. And then you can start like, as you're browsing, you're still being entertained. Whereas at the moment you just get into this, uh, analysis paralysis of like, I don't know what I want to watch, but it's not, it's not anything that I see. But I bet mm. if you just hit play on anything, you're, you'd be happy with it. That dude, that is a very, very good shout. Well, as I was saying the question, I was like, I'm not sure if this is going to lead anywhere, but it, it absolutely <laughs> there. Very we do good. lots. Uh, one of the teams that I worked on uh, up until recently at Netflix was an experimentation team, an innovation team. And we do a lot of tests, like in the order of hundreds uh, of tests we would do per year. And we have tried these sorts of things before. We've tried many, many different iterations of uh, like a surprise me button or uh, instant joy, we called it, that it would just randomly choose something, but you still had to like get into it. Uh, to, you know, you had to choose just to randomly play something, but the idea of just playing something straight off, it's, even though we're used to it on live TV, if you did it on Netflix, you're like consumers, we find were like, no, wait a minute. That's, I don't want you just to like start making noise at me. I wasn't ready for you to start <laughs> making noise. Like people hate, uh, what we call video merch, you know, where it shows a trailer as you're browsing through. So many people are just like, don't, I, I, I don't want to see a trailer. I just want to like read the back of the box, the synopsis to see what's going on. Yeah. So, yeah, such a good point. Yeah, it's. A, I love the experimental nature of it all as well because it's sometimes you don't really know if something works until you just stick it out there and go for it, right? Yeah, yeah, Talk you got to take big swings. Big swings, big swings. Talk to me about rock climbing. Rock climbing is uh, something I started in Edinburgh and just really enjoyed. It's one of those things that's both creative because uh, I, I'm not a tall person and a lot of, uh, you know, for, on some climbs, you've got to be just tall to be able to reach. So you've got to take a bit of creativity, a bit of exercise just to be able to move your way up. So I think it works the brain as well as uh, just working uh, the body just to get it, get you up there. It's a good challenge and it's you by yourself. There's no one else mm. there to help you get up there either. And I quite like that. Was there a moment on the on the rocks or on the wall that you think has been meaningful to you? There was my life flash before my eyes. One time I was climbing in one of the national parks called Pinnacles and it was a climb called uh, 
la cuidado, which is like caution in Spanish, like just a, <laughs> a, a kind of scare. It was on machete rock as well. So it was what kind up, of like, ev- Come on. I know ever, ever, <laughs> everything about that climb was just like, this is maybe, this is maybe more dangerous than what you think. Uh, and I was going with my climbing partner, a very good friend. And uh, it's lead climbing. So in lead climbing, you're bringing the rope up with you and you're clipping in as you go along. And uh, I was going up this rock and it was kind of cold on one side of the face and it kind of came up and it was open on the other. And the sun was blasting on the other side. The rocks were hot. So your fingers are getting sweaty. And I was between two clips and there was quite a distance between these clips, maybe 15 feet. So you've got, you know, say 10 feet before... uh, five feet below the clip. So that means that you've got that 10 feet to drop plus that 10 feet again. So you've got a 20 foot drop uh, before you're caught and you're just hoping that you've placed all your gear just right. And that climb was terrifying. And at the very end of it, we topped out. We were just so happy. Photos, just that was amazing. That's great. Let's never do that again. And and then when, uh, and we, we knew this uh before, because you always have to plan your way down before you climb up, of course. Uh, but climbing down was actually much harder than climbing up. Very, uh, very narrow path, which turned out to have little trees growing out of it. So you're kind of holding on and like working your way around these trees. You're not roped in at any point there. Uh, that was a dodgy climb, but I'm very glad that I did it. <laughs> Does it do anything for you? So other than the you know, I, I relate to the problem-solving nature of it. Obviously, it keeps you fit. Obviously, it keeps you healthy. Obviously, it gets you outside. Has it helped your confidence in any way, even professionally? I think it's it's helped with focus, and it's helped with uh, powering through a problem. Like uh, there are plenty of times that you will be on a be on a climb, like in the gym or something, and you're trying it like four, five, six, seven times, and you're just like doing it. You're falling. You're changing something subtly. What if I just, if I place my toe there rather than the side of my foot? What if I grip a bit differently? What if I do this? What if I move my body slightly and uh, and, and just try and reach that differently? Then it's it's like that's the problem solving side, but just that uh, continual uh, perseverance of getting through and finally getting it and. There are plenty of times that I've not got to the top of a climb and it's there in the gym for like, I don't know, three, four weeks. And then it gets taken down. It's like, ah, screw that climb. I was never, you know, it was just a, it was just a stupid one. I was never able to get it. But I think that perseverance has definitely helped me a lot. In a one word answer, yes or no. Do you think you will still be living in Silicon Valley in three years? Three years. Yeah. Three years is a short time scale. Um, I, I think in three years, yeah, I'll still be here. It's tricky. If I wanted to move back to the UK, which when we were recently visiting, uh, we've, uh, we were back in the UK for the first time since pandemic started in wow, 2020. Great. Uh, so that was the first time in three years we were back and we had a brand new kid to bring home and show, you hey, know, uh, shiny. <laughs> my, yeah. My, my, my youngest boy was born, uh, March 2020. Like nice. the day that lockdown in the US happened, he was born. Unbelievable. What and, an origin story for that kid. Oh, yeah. Uh, so it was like all pandemic. And of course, he met my parents and my side of the family over, you know, FaceTime and uh, and everything. But taking him home and having him actually meet people in person, you know, that uh, after th- uh, after three years, you know, he's a walking, talking kid with a attitude at that point. It's just very different to a baby. 
And I had forgotten how beautiful the UK was. California has been in drought for years and years. You know, everything's yellow. It's not green. And wildfires and stuff like that. And then pandemic made us feel very trapped and kind of isolated over here for the first time in a decade. And when we went back and, you know, getting to see family in person, seeing how green everything is, we, we went up to the highlands of Scotland where uh, my wife's family's from and driving over the Fetter Cairn mountains. And you see like the beautiful greens and purples of the heather. It was just stunningly beautiful. And I, I felt mm. like that's the point that the first point in time I've ever felt American is that when <laughs> people are always like, oh, Scotland, Ireland, uh, you know, Northern Ireland is also beautiful. It's so green and so lush. And I'd be like, yeah, 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 whatever. And then I came back from that trip just going, it's so lush, it's so green, it's so beautiful. Like, why would you ever move away from this? Yeah. So, yeah, would, would we move back? Yes. Uh, the only thing that we would have to do to move back would be to get a citizenship for the U.S. Because I'm on a green card. And if you don't live in the States uh, for more than half the year, then you lose mm. that green card. And I would hate to uh, all of the effort that goes into immigration and getting that green card. To, it's a multi-year yeah. process. I would hate to lose that and move back and then find that I couldn't come back to the States if I wanted to, especially yeah. since both my kids uh, are American citizens as well. So Absolutely. if they decide that they want to live over here, I would also like to live over here. Bro, you so it's your proof for, the, for those grandbabies, man. You got to figure that out. <laughs> exactly. So it's, it's a process of if we wanted to move back, then you've got to go that extra step and uh, work yeah. our way through citizenship. And that in and of itself is... You know, is it giving up part of your identity? You know, I left mm -hmm. Belfast when I was 18. And if now I lived outside of Belfast longer than I lived in Belfast, I find that moment kind of tricky. Uh, tricky. you know, it's, it's like, uh, you, you tie your identity to where you're from quite a bit, or at least I, I do. And mm -hmm. realizing that, oh, I've been outside of Belfast for longer than I was living in it. Am I still like, is it right for me to say that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm from Belfast? Well, I am from Belfast, but you know, how much of it do I truly remember? How much has Belfast changed in the last 18 years? Quite a bit. And, and then, you know, it's like, oh, I lived in Scotland for, uh, for 10 years, but I'm not from Scotland. I, 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 I can't identify as being Scottish. And now I'm in the States. I can't identify as being American. But if I, <laughs> if I got citizenship, I would be American. But, you know, it's, it, it's kind of a, a, a identity is a strange thing, as we all know. Absolutely. What's, the one thing you miss about ni like aside from the people and the family of course like that's a given is there like a place you love to go is there a thing that you like to do is there a spot of yours that you're just like oh man i would love to to do that oh man rita bread is the best thing in the world uh like <laughs> why they don't ship that internationally is beyond me rita bread with butter and marmalade I miss that the most. It's like, my come mom on, some blessed. Get your export game <laughs> up. <laughs> I miss that. I miss it massively. One of the things I do enjoy about uh, flying into George Best Airport is just that it's just yellow and red Tito, just like advertising everywhere. It's just like, welcome home. You know, here's the castle. And uh, going to one of those vending machines while you're waiting on your uh, on your suitcase to come out on the uh, on the conveyor belt, and just getting a packet of cheese and onion, sharing it with the kids. I, I've got my kids addicted to that. Uh, that's that's <laughs> not, not a problem at all. They call them daddy's crisps. And, yes, uh, come on. Open open up one of the uh, packet of potatoes and the two of them are just like, oh, can, can I have one of daddy's crisps? Like, you can have one. You can have one. Yeah. Nice. 
Very, very nice, man. Couple of uh, stock questions then as we, we land the plane. Uh, we'll wrap this up pretty swiftly here. Uh, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland, dead or alive, out for, uh, I don't know, whatever you, you're into, uh, a packet of Daddy's Crisps, who would you take and where would you take them? Oh, George Best has got to be a good party, right? That's That's got to be so. something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah, George Best, Oliver Jeffers, uh, it mm. writes some of the best kids' books that my kids enjoy. I would, I'd love to have Bro, a sit down I, with him. I cry while reading them. I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, uh, if I was going to do a startup, uh, Sarah Fryer is the person to speak to. I, I, I so that would be another good person to, uh, to go. Where would I take them? Oh, I don't know. Like I miss the Giants Causeway. That's something that I've not been to in a few years. So yeah, maybe mm. maybe high tea at the Giants Causeway would be a good place oh, to go. Oh yeah, dude, Cam, you got class, bro. I'm I'm enjoying this. This is good. This is good. Uh, this was not the stock question, but I'll chuck it in. Do you think people from Northern Ireland have an like imposter syndrome? Do you think there's oh, something yeah. about us? Uh, it's, it's 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 not just Northern Ireland though. Like imposter syndrome is is rife in Silicon Valley as well. No one believes that that. that they they actually know what they're doing. Uh, in tech, I feel like it's a, a symptom of people not documenting enough, not writing code that is readable. And uh, mm. one of the one of the one of the things I say about Netflix all the time: the biggest problem we have is that we hire smart people because smart people can work their way around any problem. And instead of them like raising their hand or going to speak to someone and say, "Hey, I don't know how to solve this. Is there a is you know does anyone has anyone solved this before? Instead, they'll spend a week solving it for themselves, and they'll come up with <laughs> yet another solution. Uh, and they won't tell anyone about it because they don't want to admit that they had to solve this problem because they just assume everyone else has solved it as well. So really imposter syndrome point. is not just a Northern Irish thing, not at all. It is rife everywhere. And believe in yourself, like ask questions. It, I, I don't think that it is as if you don't know how something works, if you don't know uh, how to do it, ask people because they might not know either. And most, m- most of the time, someone will learn from that answer as well, even if they, uh, if, even if they don't raise their hand. Hmm. Awesome. Mate. What's your favorite Netflix original? Oh, Wednesday is breaking all sorts of records at the moment. It's absolutely mm. fantastic. I absolutely love it. Uh, my favorite one at the moment, I watched Stutz. Uh, it's, um, oh, what's the name of the, the guy? His name's just jumped out of my head. He was in, um, I never heard oh, of Stutz. Stutz. T-U-T, no, S-T-U-T-Z. I was about to say Z. Um, Studs. Jonah Hill, Phil Stutz. Jonah Hill, there we go. So Jonah Hill, it's it's him having a conversation with his therapist. This is a bit random. Um, Jonah Hill just had a lot of hang-ups about his weight, uh, and uh, his brother died. Uh, a few years ago, and 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 it's just him talking to his therapist, and his therapist. Oh, this is real. Uh, this is not. This isn't. Fiction. This is real. This is real. Oh. Yeah. And, and 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 the guy just has a uh, his therapist Stutz just has a a different way of uh, of approaching mental health and stuff like that. Instead of like sit back listen, he's just like okay, stop what you're doing and do exactly what I say. And, uh, and I, and I just, I find that enlightening. Just the way that he was talking about it, uh, I, f- I find him, 
uh, very interesting, quite an inspirational uh, uh, piece of filmography. And and Stutz has a book guide there that uh, I started reading just last week because of it. So yeah, it's a bit out there. It's not it's not a you know an entertaining watch, but it's a, a thoughtful watch. I thought I think it's really good. It sounds like the weirdest podcast ever made. I definitely am going to check that out. Yeah, Very do much enjoy that, mate. Final question. Yeah, we'll do this one. If you could go back in time to an eighteen-year-old version of Cameron, what sort of stuff would you say to him? Oh, probably just don't be so desperate. You know, just uh, like you'll you'll get where you're going. You don't have to rush it sort of thing like just focus on what uh, focus on you rather than focusing on other people i definitely uh earlier in my career I was more worried about what other people thought of me rather than what i thought of myself and i would just work myself to death uh there was a lot of burnouts in the early days which i just didn't recognize so just the uh just definitely relax a little bit uh i've got a lot of hobbies now i think just take those hobbies up earlier i would have loved to have taken up woodworking a, a decade ago uh, i would have uh, love to have kept the piano going and that sort of thing, which I dropped around that age. So just, just don't don't focus on one thing. You know, keep your options open. Uh, do what do what you enjoy, sort of thing. Which I I do get to do, but don't take it too seriously at the same time. Don't be so desperate for it. Unbelievable, class. So yeah, look, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. If you're joining us on YouTube, because we're so fancy now and we've got video, very, very exciting. Also want to give another big thank you to NI Connections for making this episode possible. And as I said at the top of the show, if you are living overseas and you want to connect with other Northern Irish people, or if you're considering as maybe Cam, I'm trying to look down at you here, Cam, like trying to make eye contact <laughs> with you and this work, as Cam might be considering it in the, the not so distant future, Thinking about moving home, thinking about moving the kids home. There's lots of reasons why you would think about doing that. And NI Connections can certainly sell you on a few more and help take care of some of the practical realities as well. So yeah, Cameron, mate, I've absolutely loved this. Uh, so far ranging, so all over the place in the best kind of way. And I really, really appreciate you giving up your time. Anytime, Matt. Anytime at all. Cheers, bro.